an asteroid, common images, and some observations on episode 395 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris, and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky, and this podcast is for everybody who likes going out under the stars. We're kind of playing around with the numbering this morning, Shane. It kind of took me off guard there for a sec. <laughs> well, uh, you know, let's let's get you back on track here, Chris. Let's... <laughs> I don't know what to say. We're recording slightly out of order, folks, because I think I kind of goofed up a little. I should have done uh, the uh, Observer's Calendar for February as our last show today, and and I did something else, or we did something else, so we're going to catch up at a future point in time. Yeah. Oh, well. No, no big deal. So I've got all these astronomy posters, Shane, mm-hmm. and I want to put some of them in my observatory. Mm-hmm. How should I do that? <laughs> I don't know. Staples. I, <laughs> I'm not sure why, uh, what's the conundrum here? Well, if I just, if I just staple them to the wall, they're going to get all dewy, right? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I guess laminate. Laminate. You think? Well, yeah. Coat, coat them in wax. <laughs> coat them in wax. Just like break up the candle set, eh? Paraffin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Get, the get, iron get your out. ski wax out. Oh yeah, I still have some of that. It's somewhere around here, I think. Yeah, I've been trying to figure that out. I dug out. I have a. It was one of those situations where it was about seven years ago. Now, mm-hmm. it's hard to believe, but I think anyway, it was during one of the one of the Mars oppositions six or seven years ago. I was teaching my astronomy class. Student came in and said, "You've got to buy the most recent edition of." National Geographic, because it's got this this really nice Mars map in it, and they brought it in. I was oh, I got to get that. So I went and bought it just for the Mars map. The article was okay. Mars map was really really nice. And you know, sometimes you 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 know you buy the magazine and it's six bucks or whatever it was. But now to go back and buy the um, if you can find it to buy the map was going to be like twenty five or thirty bucks. So okay, great. Got it. So I put that aside. I put it somewhere safe. And I thought, if I ever have an observatory, I'll put that in the observatory. Well, do you think I could find that thing? (laughs) Yeah. Well, when I had my observatory going prior to that, my wife, this was actually very early on in our relationship. And uh, she knew that I was into astronomy. So I don't know if this was a Christmas gift or birthday gift, but she bought me a deed to land on the moon that ah. I now owned. Um, so I think we all know that that's not a, a real thing, but uh, it was kind of amusing to me. So I laminated that and hung it in my observatory uh, when I had it. And uh, it always made me smile. <laughs> you funny. How big was it? Could you be buried there? Or? Oh, uh, the plot. Um, <laughs> it's in my garage now. I'll, I'll get the deed out and I, I forget how big it is, but I'll, I'll find out for you. I had an email from uh, John Dolby in Arizona in response to uh, Peter Jedicke coming on the show. Did you get a chance to read this one? It was very fascinating. No, I didn't actually. Well, I'll take a read. Okay. Because I uh, went back and forth a little bit with with John. Had some more emails. Then I even wrote him and said, I hope it's okay if we read it on the show. I didn't hear it back. I just sent it last night. But um, I was thinking it, it, if this had been like further back in time we had space this morning we could have had john on the show or something because 
he's got some interesting stories. He used to work for uh, Apogee Instruments, who were the makers of um, some of the best, or if not the best, CCD cameras back in the day. But uh, mm -hmm. anyway, I'll, I'll read his note here. He says, uh, I enjoyed listening to your episode number 390, Naming Asteroids with Peter Jedeke. However, I found it difficult to believe that you did a whole episode on asteroids and asteroid names, and yet nobody mentioned the famous Titius Bode Law that instigated the search for the asteroids in the 1700s. You can uh, look it up on Wikipedia. Fascinating tale, which I did. I, I was. It turned out I was familiar with the law. I just didn't know off the top of my head that that's what it was called, which is basically um, they had come up with this... Um, mathematical formula or calculation or something of that nature that said um there should be uh so many planets at mm -hmm. such and such an interval from the sun i think probably you've heard of this before i have yeah yeah and it, it's kicked off a, a bit of a thing within astronomy to find this missing planet and and that's what this uh tedious uh, bode law uh is did talk to peter jedicky about it and peter was familiar with it he decided not to speak on it um and had his own opinions why um yeah it would have been kind of neat if we could have i i often wish all we did was this podcast and we could spend all this time and coordinate mm -hmm. with people and have peter back on the show because peter gave this really neat uh answer and i think he was even going to write john because he had um some other interesting things he he wanted to discuss with him about naming of asteroids and such but anyway um John goes on to say, secondly, I wanted to share a story about an asteroid that was named for me. Mm. Back in the 1990s, when digital imagery really opened up the search for transient objects, asteroid, novae, and supernova to amateur astronomers, I worked for a CCD camera company, and one of our customers was a guy who loved to discover asteroids. I did read this one, Chris. Uh, it's coming back to me, but carry on. <laughs> Our company sold back illuminated CCD cameras that were very sensitive. And because of this, he had somewhat of an edge in discovery. He discovered so many asteroids, in fact, that he ran out of ideas for naming them. One day, he called our tech support line and asked me if I wanted to have an asteroid named after me, since I was so helpful to him after he received his camera. I was very flattered, but he talked about the process of naming asteroids and how the IAU was so picky that they required him to prove that his suggestion, his suggested name was someone who was very important or helpful in the field of astronomy. He asked about my background, and after a brief interview, he expressed that his application for naming may or may not be approved. Of course, if you look at asteroid names, you'll note that the requirements uh, for a name being proposed uh, must be astronomically important, and that has been broken several times. I think I have to sneeze, so just bear with me for a moment. My apologies. I'm glad we didn't get that on record. I'm just going to reread that. Of course, if you look at asteroid names, you'll note that the requirement that a name be proposal being astronomically important has been broken thousands of times. There are asteroids named after Shakespeare and Mozart and movie stars and rock stars and sports heroes. Yeah, the Beatles have asteroids named after them even. As do the Three Stooges, which I quite appreciate as a Three Stooges fan. And the guys from Monty Python, again, uh, mostly also a fan. And then as Peter Jedicke mentioned, there's Asteroid 2309, Mr. Spock, which is named after a freaking cat. Long story short, his application front, my name was accepted by the IAU. 
even though I was but a lowly amateur astronomer who had once gotten a job as a telescope operator for a small university observatory and then later as a tech support specialist for a CCD camera company. Asteroid number 14223 was dubbed Dolby in my so-called honor. It is my only claim to fame, but I got nothing from the IIU as remembrance, no certificate. There was no celebration, no ribbon cutting. No, I put the ribbon cutting in. <laughs> Just as an email attachment from my boss who got an asteroid named after him. Many years ago, when I looked up my asteroid on the JPL small bodied page, I was dismayed to learn that 14223 Dolby reaches only 16th magnitude at closest approach to Earth. I didn't think I'd ever be able to see it. In 2007, however, I finally get into the 21st century of telescope gear when I purchased the Celestron CPC 1100, which is an 11-inch uh, Schmidt-Cassegrain telescope, uh, and that one is able to use Hyperstar. Using the system and Carte CL for asteroid display and telescope control, I was able to track down my asteroid and take a picture of it, see attached. So he sent this, this photograph pointing out the asteroid, and then he had... Uh, a short, very, very short, but animation, you can see the asteroid kind of flying amongst the stars. It was pretty cool. The first picture is annotated to show the asteroid. The second image is an animated GIF that blinks the asteroid in two images taken 24 hours apart in November 2010 when 14223 Dolby was closest to Earth. It makes a close approach about every five years and the rest of the time it's uh, more about 20th magnitude. So if you have... If you want to have an asteroid named after you, you only need to find a friend in the quote-unquote discovery business who's looking for people to name asteroids after, or else find someone like David Levy who worked with the shoemakers and found himself sitting on a veritable gold mine of unnamed asteroids because the shoemakers had previously discovered so many asteroids when they worked with him at Polymer, they didn't know what to do with them all, and they allowed David to suggest names for their discoveries. In closing, I just wanted to say that I feel bad about Pluto, by 2006, when it got demoted as a planet and had to be assigned an asteroid number, the number of known asteroids was well into the hundreds of thousands. It's weird to see that my asteroid is only in the tens of thousands, and yet Pluto gets stuck with the number 134340. Pluto's discoverer, Clyde Tombaugh, had an asteroid named after him decades earlier, and it was only number 1604, which is amazing, right? Because 1604 was a pivotal year in astronomy. But anyway, I digress. Uh, today, however, the asteroid, the asteroids are more than one million in number. So if you get one of these named after you, it'll be something like, you know, a whole pile of numbers. <laughs> the actual astronomers. I don't know that there should be an actual astronomers asteroid, but that would be funny. There, there's another plot for you, Shane, and it will likely be an asteroid that's so faint it requires a professional class telescope to photograph it. Kind regards, John Dolby, Tucson, Arizona. Thanks so much for the email, John. It was fantastic. Yeah, that was really good. Enjoyed that one a lot. Neat story, uh, you know, about how one asteroid got a name and uh, just some really good uh, kind of backstory in history. 1604, Trumba's asteroid. That was the year that uh, that uh, Bayer's Urinometria came out was 1604. Urinometria 1604, that was the first Urinometria. Oh, neat. That's yeah. kind of an interesting uh, coincidence, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Got this uh, next email, not on asteroids, but on a comet. This was pretty Ooh. cool. Mm -hmm. This was pretty cool. Um, oh man, who sent this in? Sean. Sean. Yeah. Yes. Um, 
Sean says, hi, guys. I've been following the movements of Comic 12P Ponds Brooks since hearing about it on the podcast. Here in the Okanagan, we have had a handful of clear nights in only the past two months, but I managed to get a few shots of the comet during those nights. I really appreciate this myself personally, Chris speaking here, because I tried to hunt this comet down on a few occasions. And Shane, I don't know about you, but like when you were getting your observatory running, those first few nights are a bit bumpy. And uh, mine have been enjoyable, a lot of fun. They've been some long frost ridden nights. Um, however, I was not successful in scene 12P, which is one of the things I had on my list. Anyhow, um, Sean goes on to say the two close-up shots were taken with my C9.25 XLT. Side note, this is a nine and a quarter inch Schmidt-Cassegrain telescope known to be one of the best uh, Schmidt-Cassegrain telescopes produced by Solastron. And he took these shots on December 8th and 23rd, managed to get the devil horns people were talking about. On January 14th, I set up my Astrotech 72 ED2 to get a wide field shot of it passing close to Sadar in the constellation of Cygnus. It was minus 30 with the wind chill. Oof, whoa. Yeah, that's not very nice. <laughs> and that caused his autofocuser to freeze up uh -huh. and also his fingers to freeze up uh -huh. while he was manually uh -huh. focusing at minus 30. Oof. Yeah, that'll, that would be a short session for me. <laughs> Once all that was sorted out and everything was running, I was able to get into the warmth for the rest of the session. Hope the weather warms up and clear skies for you guys so you can get some observing in. Cheers, Sean. Uh, man, these are fantastic. Yeah, outstanding images. Um, you know, he he has sort of some zoomed in ones of the comet, which, you know, you capture a bit of the tail. And then one that's quite a wide field view with uh, Cygnus and some nebulosity there in the background. It's it's quite beautiful. Yeah, this uh, this shot, this this last shot here, uh, in my little list, um, this was the one taken with the 72 ED2. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so that's Sadar on the bright, uh, the bright star sort of, uh, uh, bottom right. Bottom right yeah. yeah. With the, uh, sometimes they call it like the butterfly nebula around it, which has a lot of meaning for me. Cause I've spent a long time observing this. You can see that dark lane, or at least I can through my five inch pretty good. And then, uh, below and to the left is NGC 6888, 6888, which is the crescent nebula. Mm-hmm. And then sort of, um, just left of above center or whatever is the, uh, is the comet. This is, this is just such a fantastic shot. Yeah, <sighs> yeah, it really is. It's quite beautiful. Um, it just encapsulates so much. Like there's so much going on in one photo. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. I meant to ask Sean if he was, if he was an RESC member or what he's going to do with the shot. I would, this is like one of those shots, um, People do send us lots of astrophotography, which is great. If you if you do take astrophotos, please send them. We love to see them, even though mostly we're talking about visual observing. I would I would love to get a copy of this shot, like and either print it like a high res and and get it like printed at uh, uh, at my workplace on the proper printer. And yeah, this would be cool. Yeah, this is would, a, would make a nice wallpaper too on a desktop. Oh yeah, yeah for sure, mm -hmm. for sure. Um, this. Uh, this is our last email. It's a little bit longer, so maybe you can just sort of read it in stages here, Shane. Uh, it's from Will. Really appreciate the email, Will. My apologies. We had we had not really so much missed the email, but what happened was um, a few things. For me personally, I was switching jobs. I was doing like job interviews and that sort of thing. I was still working and doing job interviews, which always makes things very busy. 
Um, just a couple jobs popped up. I was interested in at work. So it's, you know, switch jobs at work, didn't switch work places, but, uh, yeah. And a few things got, got by me there. And then as well, um, we were trying to sort out our shows and that for, uh, the Christmas season and, yeah, just with Christmas on the horizon and other things. I think this one just sort of got by the goalie, Shane. Yeah, yeah, which happens from time to time. Yeah. Do you want to take a, a read of this? It's a it's a pretty good one. And maybe as as he's going through the uh, objects, we can stop and kind of reflect on those. Yeah, for sure. So uh, he says, hi, Chris and Shane. Uh, Chris, we've exchanged a few emails, but rather than replying to those, I thought I'd let Shane in on the fun. Uh, I still haven't done that Cherry Springs report, but I thought I'd write and tell you both how much I've been enjoying the podcast and share some observing notes. Uh, your podcast is my go-to distraction when driving any distance. Uh, you are both great company. Uh, so listening to the latest episode this week about acromats, you kicked off with some remarks about the good weather and how much observing you have gotten in. Well, the November weather here up until it finally rained on the 21st has been nothing short of amazing. And I shattered every observing record of my short career. Wait for it. Pause, pause, pause. Maybe a drum roll. Uh, I've been out uh, in November on the 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, 16th, 18th, 19th, 20th, and 23rd. Uh, almost all were three plus hour sessions and a few morning and evening sessions on the same day. Nice. Uh, the rest of my life, uh, ground to a halt. I can imagine that's an awful lot of astronomy, but you know, you have to take advantage of the the conditions when they present themselves. Yeah. I think my sessions were sort of strangely enough, uh, very much mirroring, um, wills. And I should have, and th this is the thing that should have occurred to me as well is I think in, in part, um, me missing this email was a result of that. Cause I think we were actually in the same weather stream and we were getting the good nights and then he was getting them like a few nights later. And, uh, yeah, I was doing the same thing where I was, you know, working during the day going out, observing at night, getting up in the morning and observing s sometimes staying up or going back to bed for half an hour, getting up, going to work and then, you know, sort of rinse, wash and repeat. And it seemed to go on for like weeks there. Right. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I was a bit bagged by the time the end of the month rolled around too. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the email continues here, uh, early in the month with the waning moon making early appearances. It was mostly double stars with a farewell tour of Sagittarius from my limited Southern exposure. Some final views of M11, M16, 25, 17, 27, 15, 2, and 71. Uh, other messiers include everything visible this month, along with some winter messiers on my few early morning sessions. Lots of other DSOs, including many for the first time, uh, too many double and multiple stars to count. All observing this month was done from uh, home with my Bortle four to five skies and various openings to the sky that avoid the trees. Uh, pretty much anything but far south can be seen if I am patient. Uh, most nights it was my 10 inch daub, uh, with a few observations with a hundred millimeter teleview Genesis, uh, which I used to have one of those. Mm -hmm. It's a fantastic scope. Uh, also he had a, a 130 millimeter one sky and also used binoculars. And then he gets into his journal entries of DSO highlights observed with the 10 inch. Mm -hmm. So let's start going through this. It's a pretty good list. Um, yes. 
So the first one here is M71 and the notes looks really good, large, uh, dozens of stars in two irregular groups, uh, with haze of stars resolved in averted vision. Yeah. That's a nice one there. That's up in Sajida. Yeah. Uh, I think I did a, well, I know I did a sketch of that this summer or fall late, maybe early fall or late summer. Um, and this is that, uh, it's, I think it's an open cluster they thought was a globular or globular they thought was an open cluster at one point in time. But yeah, it's, uh, it's a, either a concentrated open cluster or a sparse globular cluster, depending on how you look at it. But, uh, yeah, that's a great one. Really easy to find sort of in that main body of Sajida the arrow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, good, uh, good observation. Uh, next one, NGC 7009, uh, big and bright with no filter, blue, uh, ears making Saturn shape obvious. That's so, pretty, pretty good to see those, uh, those ears are the, the things that stick out on the other side. I think they're called the ansay in, uh, planetary nebula speak. Mm -hmm. And so this is the, uh, Saturn nebula or NGC <laughs> 7009. Have yeah. you, have you seen this one before? I have. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a stunning nebula. Like, you know, the right level of magnification or aperture can really, you know, start to bring out that Saturn shape. And, you know, sometimes Chris with these objects, they're named after what somebody thought they represent, mm -hmm. um, you know, the Swan Nebula, for example. And some of these are pretty apparent to me, like the Saturn Nebula, some not so much, but, uh, that, that is one of the reasons why I like this nebula. My best view of this nebula was with my friend, Peter, uh, he had a 25 inch daub at the time. Mm, wow. And I think I spent an hour looking at this one night and, uh, cause the way Peter observes, um, he builds these beautiful telescopes and that's one of the great things about Peter. The second great thing about Peter is he's extremely friendly, sociable, and helpful person. And when we're out observing together, like when I lived in Ontario, we'd observe together, he'd set up the scope. He'd be showing people stuff, showing people how the scope would work. And then he would trail off to like, go look at other stuff or chat with people or whatever. And I would just like be waiting to pounce on his telescope. And, uh, and so I think like he pointed it at the Saturn Nebula and I observed it for like an hour while he was off just like, you know, having a friendly conversation with somebody. And I had like this whole 25 inch telescope <laughs> just, just for my own nefarious purposes. But, uh, I, you know, I always think about that when, when I think about the, the Saturn Nebula, cause it's one of those things where you think that you're, you know, maybe you're seeing this stuff or you can just, just see those little ansay. And I remember when I was looking through that 25 inch the, uh, the ansay looked like the, it almost looked like, uh, parts of like the veil nebula, like there was that mm. much detail in them. It was, uh, ridiculous, but, uh, I did observe it in the fall with my binoculars, my 12 by 36s. I made an observation of it by holding a nebula filter in front of one of the objective ends. It was pretty oh, cool. Neat. Right on. Yeah. Next one is NGC 7789, uh, high overhead rose shape exclamation mark, yes. uh, rings of stars nicely formed in the field of view, 100 or so 11th and 12th magnitude stars against an unresolved background globe. So this is a uh, Carolyn's rose uh, named after mm -hmm. Carolyn Herschel who, mm -hmm. who discovered it. And I remember one year, Mark Bratton, who's the author of the uh, Herschel objects book and, he, and he was talking about it and, and we spent 
we spent all these nights observing it. It was so, so fun. He had an 18 inch telescope out. We were observing it in that. I was observing it in my five inch. Mike had his 12 inch out and, and we, we did some observations of it when we were in grasslands. And then, um, we went out observing around here a few nights and, and we're observing it. I, that was, I didn't sketch it. I don't think it's, it's a really difficult one to sketch because it has like these dark lanes that run through that help form this, uh, this rose pattern. But yeah, mm-hmm. this is one of those sort of favorite, favorite, favorite open clusters in the deep sky, which sometimes gets overlooked because it has this really high NGC number, which makes you think maybe it's pretty faint or whatever, but it, it's not, it's a spectacular open cluster up there in uh, Cassiopeia. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful, uh, a beautiful cluster. Uh, one of my favorites. Um, and again, it does sort of start to take on a little bit of that rose appearance, uh, maybe with a little bit of imagination, but it's, uh, I like it. It's quite, quite pretty. And I should have said NGC 7009, the Saturn Nebula, the one we were previously talking about, that's right on sort of the Northern Capricornus Aquarius border. All right. Yep. yep. Next, Next one. Yeah. NGC 752, very pretty, about 100 stars, uh, more than filled the one degree field of view. So this, another nice open cluster in an, is that in Andromeda? I think it's, it's right on the triangulum Andromeda border. Uh. And it's, um, if you find triangulum and you go off, uh, well, triangulum is a triangle and you go off the two stars, which form like the wide part of the triangle and you go, uh, above and left or above and to the North, uh, East about, I think it's like about might be six, seven, 10 degrees, something like that. You'll get to NGC 752 and NGC 752 was also discovered by Carolyn Herschel. So Mm. it's sort of another Carolyn Herschel, uh, open cluster and it's, it's very large. It looks best in, uh, to me anyway, in binoculars or wide field telescopes. Uh, he counted a hundred stars, so that's pretty darn good. I, Mm -hmm. I, might have gotten a hundred stars over the years in it, but uh, that's because he's using a 10 inch. And usually I'm looking at it uh, when I have like my 60 millimeter out. I think it looks really good when it's sort of framed against um, the wider part of the sky, but to to count a hundred stars in uh, one degree, but it, it has a, it, it, it is a very large target. I think it's just about a degree in size. And it also has sort of some blank areas and some S-shaped structures within it. And the neat part about NGC 752 is although it was discovered by Carolyn Herschel and it's this large open cluster, um, I think it was probably first observed by Hodierna back in the uh, early 1600s because he talked about seeing an object naked eye and then sort of partially resolving it through his little, uh, whatever it was, like 30 millimeter telescope. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the time, M33, the Triangulum Galaxy, is attributed to him. But I, I don't think that's true, um, just based on his observation that that I read. I, I think he was probably looking at uh, looking at this this target simply because uh, M33 is pretty tough to see. And I'm not sure if you had never looked at stuff before, if you would pick that up. And then also the way that he categorized it, uh, I think he was able to see some stars, but, uh, kind of like who knows, but Carolyn Herschel was, is the one that remains uh, with the credit. Mm-hmm. So our first galaxy here, NGC 253, uh, obvious if faint, uh, very extended, some granularity, uh, first view from home. Pretty good, uh, pretty good observation from light pollution. Yeah. I love the sculptor, um, galaxy. This one is fantastic. I was looking at this one. I, I have a sketch of this one. 
it's low, but it's not it's not crazy low for us, but it's definitely getting uh, getting down there. But it, it's huge, even like in the five inch telescope. It's a it's a pretty big target to get. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then another galaxy, this one up in Cetus, uh, M77, small, but quite distinct, bright core and halo best with averted vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah. I did a sketch of this, this one. I think I did a couple sketches of this one in maybe even three. I did one in the binoculars, uh, the 12 by 36s. I think I did it in the four inch and I know we observed it in the 12 inch. I can't remember if I did a sketch of it or not, but, uh, yeah, this, this one's pretty bright. And mm-hmm. pretty easy to see. It's just off a star there in Cetus. Yeah, mm-hmm. sort of the northern part of Cetus. Pretty good target. Right. Yeah. Uh, now we're on to NGC 281 up in Cassiopeia uh, with an O3 filter, nebulosity large, obvious. Uh, yeah, this one is quite big. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, Burnham 1 split at high power and no filter. Uh, three stars were obvious, fourth star in and out. Uh, so yeah, it's, great it's observation. Burnham- is Burnham one, and of course Burnham was was the famous co- comet and uh, deep sky observer uh, working out of Lick Observatory, and then at Yerkes. Um, but is Burnham one in? Is is that one in um, two eight one? I don't know if it's in it or just in proximity. Uh, it looks like yeah. So I'm just reading some notes Cassiopeia. here. It's in the heart of. The net of NGC oh, 281. Oh, this is named, I think it might be named after Burnham of Celestial Handbook, not the other Burnham. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not yeah, sure. I'm not too um, sure. I'm not too sure. Because like, there is a Burnham double star catalog. And, yes. Uh, so it's probably associated to that, I would be my assumption. Gets confusing. Burnham, mm-hmm. not that common a name outside of astronomy. In astronomy, though, it seems to attract all of the Burnhams for some reason. <laughs> Because it is pretty wild because yeah. there was Burnham back in the uh, late 1800s, early 1900s, who was a pretty famous uh, comet hunter and double star observer. There was Burnham's Celestial Handbook. There was Robert Burnham, uh, who was one of the uh, editors of Astronomy Magazine for a long time. I think there was another Burnham in there, too. Mm. It's it's kind of funny in a way, and it's easy to get them all confused. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next one is one of my favorite messy objects, um, M37, uh, a super, uh, you know, populated open cluster. Uh, and the notes here are glorious, uh, too many stars to count in multiple small patches, 150 plus stars counted, maybe the premier open cluster. And, mm. uh, I think that's a fair argument. Yep. There on the, uh, Arriga Taurus border. If, Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm more of like an M36, M38 man myself, but okay. uh, I'll, I'll give That's you guys fair. that one. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. they're kind of in a row. You have M38, M36, and then far below M37. Yeah. Um, I like M38 and M36 because they're all in and amongst like sort of that NGC 1931. Yep. Um, that Malat, uh, Leaping Minnow, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. the Flaming Star, 4 5 is up there. Yeah. There's um, a lot of great things in that neighborhood. Yeah, it's a very, very rich area. I just dropped my pen. All right, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, so then he says, in Cassiopeia, I star hopped from NGC 129 to 133, then to King 14, then off to NGC 146, and then NGC 7790. No notes there. And then the next uh, report is on NGC 7788. 
Uh, oh no, sorry. This is just continuing the hopping. Just NGC seven seven eight eight, Frolov one, Harvard twenty one, King twelve. Uh, a wonderful sketch of sky to get lost in. Uh, and then he reports uh, Jupiter, uh, the four Galilean moons strung out in a line, very bright, two equatorial bands distinct, top equatorial band broken by the great red spot, northern temperate band cut off by the great red spot. Uh, so the, pretty cool. Yeah. So that, so that line, there's a line of open clusters there and sort of, I think it's like Northwestern Cassiopeia heading up towards Cephas and you, you start at NGC 129 and then it kind of meanders along. There's like this beautiful little stretch of open clusters. Well, well worth spending an evening there. I haven't redone it since I've been sketching. Uh, it's been a number of years, but I, I keep wanting to get just the right night to go up there and do those. Cause then I think there's the, uh, Oh, it's like the cave nebula or something like that is up there. M52 is up there as well. Um, there's a couple other nebulae, um, but mm -hmm. it's really, it's sort of the other bookend. So there's, mm -hmm. you know, you have the W of Cassiopeia. Well, this is on the sort of upper right in the autumn. And then on the bottom left, that's where you have like the heart and soul and those kind of nebulas and open clusters uh, down in there. It's sort of like the, uh, the Northwestern bookend or, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, off to uh, one of the jewels in the Northern Hemisphere, I would say. Uh, NGC 869 and 884, better known probably as the double cluster. Uh, this observation from a night with the 130 millimeter scope. And the notes are, is, it begins with, wow. <laughs> uh, just fit in one and a quarter degree field of view at 65 times, pinpoint stars, counted 60 to 70 stars in each cluster. And it's so nice when you can frame both of those in one mm -hmm. field of view, it really, it's, it really is a wow object. And, you know, it's worth for me anyway, kind of backing off the magnification just to frame it because it is so beautiful. Yeah. Sounds yeah. Good. Next one, NGC 7008, large with O uh, three filter oval with roughly, uh, I think North South aspect. So good observation oh that's the yeah i i did a sketch of this one that's the uh yeah that's up there in cephas or cygnus anyway i did a sketch yeah it's in cygnus i think i did a sketch of this in the end okay. so i think it's on like the cygnus cephas border or something like that i think i end up doing a sketch of that uh in fall because yeah. i was like oh that one's familiar i just did a sketch of this but anyway yeah, yeah. carry cool. on uh, next one, NGC 7243, got an open cluster here, I believe, uh, visible in the finder, uh, in the eyepiece, big with 50 to 70 stars spread out, mm. bright, uh, blue and orange double STF 2890 is in the center. That's pretty cool. Neat yeah, it's when, like almost uh, a, that one's almost a degree there mm. in size. Mm -hmm. It's like just over 50, uh, arc minutes. Yeah. That's a good size. Then he says a star hop from the November sky and telescope, starting at the double cluster and including stock two, NGC nine, five, seven, Trumpler two, and a clutch of doubles. Mm. Um, then he says NGC one, five, two, eight, very nice. 50 plus stars and triangle of loops and curves with a line of stars along the top. Pretty nice. cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then NGC 6866, nice rich cluster in triangular shape, 30 stars in a north-south chain, 
a very concentrated center. And then uh, M34, uh, lots of stars resolved in the finder. In the eyepiece, big and very bright, uh, fills the field of view with 60 plus bright stars in pairs. Yeah, I've, I spent a lot of time on M34 this this autumn mm -hmm. and did I did sketches in the binoculars and the four inch, maybe even the five inch too. Yeah, it's sort of one of those favorite open clusters. Very yeah, nice. it's quite pretty. Then he says another journey from uh, the double cluster to stock two, Markarian six, Malot 15, NGC 1027, CR 23, or sorry, CR 33, CR 34, IC 1848, and Trumpler three. Uh, these meanderings in a small area have become my favorite way of observing. Uh, they are far more immersive than simply hopping around the whole sky from target to target. Yeah. And this is part of that other uh, bookend that I was uh, referencing before, because uh, I see uh, 1848 is, I think, part of that heart and soul uh, nebula region. So mm -hmm. from Bortle 4.5, I think that nebula would be pretty hard to see. Might be possible with the right filter, but I think, um, yeah, he's he's able to get those clusters. Um, I always get distracted and put the filters in and focus on the nebulae. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for very sure. Nice, very nice to read the observation there. Thanks, Will. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this might be one of the last objects here. Uh, NGC 1023, uh, Galaxy, a miniature version of M31, extended, running uh, roughly east-west beside a row of stars, very bright core. Um, I like the reference to M31. That's pretty cool. I don't have this one. I have not observed it. <laughs> 1023? Yeah. So this is one of the things that I uh, really appreciate when people do write these uh, detailed. And I noticed this because I had gone through these objects the other night. And that one, like the other ones I can kind of flip through. And like some of them, I'm like, oh, I've observed it. I'm pretty sure, blah, blah, blah. But I do, usually if somebody sends this many objects, there's one I haven't seen. And I did look at the image just in the catalog and 1023 does look like a miniature M31. Mm -hmm. So now I want to hunt this one down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, it's uh, magnitude 10.3 up in Perseus. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, very, uh, very doable in a number of different size telescopes. Certainly more aperture does help always with galaxies, but, um, you know, three inch telescope should be able to pick this one up. And there's a, uh, there is another galaxy nearby. I see, uh, is it, I see two, three, nine. Anyway, there's a face on there. Yeah. Looks like, and some people have even picked up. I don't know if it's a, there's NGC 1023A. Looks like maybe a dwarf galaxy being absorbed by it. Okay. okay. Mm, there's there's a there's a lot with this. This would be this would be one of those galaxies to look at when you have a big big telescope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be a neat thing or a neat area to play around. Yeah, looks like yeah. there's a neat star trail that kind of cuts through part of it as well. Yeah, it does. Um, kind of. So on this the one's going right. on my list. So thanks for that, Will. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Uh, just to wrap up Will's email, he says, uh, in an early morning session, M35 with small nearby clusters in GC 2158, uh, 12 to 15 stars uh, in and around haze, uh, IC 2157, about 15 randomly scattered stars, 
and NGC 2129 bright, fine little cluster, compact, bright with about 20 stars. And he says, uh, then it was mostly back to the waxing moon in doubles. What a run. Uh, these are just a fraction of the targets I looked at. Well, I hope this isn't too tediously long. Uh, we just had our Thanksgiving here yesterday and enjoying this fine weather. Keep up the good work. Will. Uh, thanks a lot, Will. This is an awesome email. Um, it's, I always find this kind of stuff, you know, motivating first of mm -hmm. all, um, just to read about what other people are doing. And it's great that he was able to get out and, you know, just get this incredible amount of observing done. And, uh, to your point too, Chris, um, you know, it's great when there's a, a new object or objects that, uh, we can mm -hmm. add to our lists like 1023. Uh, that's pretty cool. So, uh, really appreciate it. Will. Yeah. And again, well, my apologies. Um, that one kind of just skirted past. And I think, uh, just with interviews, regular job, new job interviews, um, doing all that observing, I was, I was pretty zonked, uh, around that time as well as, as I think you are. So, um, please continue to send us uh, detailed observing reports, folks, just, uh, hope people understand when, uh, when I say, I wish I could do this full time, Shane, I know you're, you're the same, but, uh, you know, until, until such a time people have just have to bear with us. If we, if you don't hear back from us, I, I appreciate the fact that Will did remind me that he sent that. Cause I went back and either I had not read the email or I had barely read it and marked it as unread because it was still showing up as unread in my, uh, in my inbox. So if you do send us a detailed observing report and we appreciate when you do, and and I know it took a long time for him to write that, um, just remind us and we will go back and uh, give it the proper treatment. Again, my apologies, Will, but uh, we appreciate your patience with us. Mm -hmm. Anything to add to this show, Shane? Uh, no, that's it, Chris. All right. Well, listeners, please subscribe, share the show with other stargazers you know. Send us your show ideas, observations, and questions to actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.